this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. All right. Well, anyone tired of this series yet? No? We can keep going another few weeks. I think we've only got halfway through this series, so I hope you're uh, ready for more. Yeah? Also, happy Grandparents Day. Did you know it was Grandparents Day? Yeah. I didn't, I honestly haven't always registered that every year, but to my grandparents, happy Grandparents Day. We're talking about faith today, and they have left us this legacy of faith. So my grandma actually watches every week online three churches, ours, my dad's, and her own in Lancaster. So, uh... I'm sure she's not watching right now, but later she will. Happy Grandparents Day. Uh, also, it's it's September 11th, and you know, I, I didn't really know the, the right way to acknowledge this, but it's a major traumatic event in our recent history, right? And so, just love someone today. You know, I have siblings that have lived in New York City for many years now and, and just find somebody that has a connection. You know, and we, we all do collectively, right? But just love on somebody today. It's a traumatic day for a, a lot of us. We're still working through it. That's why these grief share classes you heard about, they're so important. Because <clears throat> it's grief is a lot. It's a lot to work through. And so, <clears throat> woo, anyway. Let's go on in this series. So far in this series, we have covered practical and spiritual ways to put on the armor of God, right? We've gone over the first three pieces of the armor so far, which I believe are foundational. The, the language, I did not notice this until we've been through Ephesians 6 so many times. I have personally read it probably a hundred times this month already. Uh, and I, I'm starting to notice a shift in some of the language, a shift in how the Bible addresses these specific pieces of the armor. So we've gone over the first three, the belt of truth, right, which is the word of God, the truth of God, holding it all together. We've got the breastplate or body armor of righteousness protecting our vital spiritual systems. And we've got the shoes of peace that comes from the good news of Jesus Christ we keep those on and ready. They keep us on our toes at all times, right? These items are how you stand firm. The language is stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. You can go ahead and put Ephesians 6:14 on the screen so they can see it. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. This is how we stand firm. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. But then the language sort of changes, and it says, in addition to all of these, right? In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows from the devil. Thank you, Fred. Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. So it almost seems like the first three are sort of assumed that you have on already, right? This is how you are standing firm. Now, in addition, hold up the shield of faith. So if you don't get those first three, the rest are not worthless, but you're not covered, right? 
those first three are foundational. If you don't get anything else out of the series, please get those. But in addition to all of those, you must hold up the shield of faith. The metaphor here for faith is interesting because it's only one of two pieces of armor that can move to the areas you need it to cover. Right? And the, the shoes don't move, they stay on your feet. You can't use shoes for really anything else, even though these had spikes. I guess they could be useful, but in general, they stay on your feet. The body armor stays on your chest. The belt of truth holds it all together. But a shield moves to the area of attack. I actually had Jody pull out this little toy shield because as I was going through this, I felt myself constantly like doing this motion, and it looks kind of silly without a shield. I was like, I need a little toy shield. Do you have any? And she found me one. So I might do that a lot. But a shield moves to the area of attack. I think this is really important when we're talking about faith. This is why we must not have faith in just one area, but faith in God himself. I say this all the time, right? But but we often just have faith for victory, and we lose sight of the God of victory. We trust God for one specific thing and forget that he is so much bigger than our one specific thing, right? I think this is the problem with what in Christian circles we call the prosperity gospel. We hear so much in Christian circles about this these days. But there's this brand of Christianity that is obsessed with the good life, (laughs) right? The, The prosperity, specifically in finances, Yes, God wants you to win. There's truth in that. Absolutely. Yes, God God wants you to have enough, more than enough actually, so that you can overflow it and share it with others. Absolutely, he does. But it doesn't always mean God will provide that easily. It doesn't always mean that he's just going to pour it out on you just because you ask or because you want it. There are principles in place of of building wealth and, and doing that well in the kingdom of God when you have your eyes only on financial victory specifically, you lose sight of all the other kinds of victory that God can bring along the way. Our prayers become more like incantations than prayers sometimes. We demand things of God, right? We we think we're standing on the promises of God, but we get way too specific with it, right? I want this specific thing from you, God. And I want my, one of the ones that breaks my heart is I want my family to come to know Jesus. God, you promised, you promised, right? You promised me that they would come to know Jesus. I'm sorry, but when has God ever promised to bend free will? To some degree, it's up to the person Surely. And if not, how is that any better than witchcraft? It's heartbreaking. <laughs> witchcraft is all about manipulation, right? It's, it's bending will to your own. I believe that's why God hates it so much. It's kind of against his whole thing, right? <laughs> God gave free will so that love could exist. 
take away free will and what happens to love. So yes, pray your family members come to know Jesus. I'm not saying don't pray for it. Absolutely pray for it. Do all you can to show Jesus to them in a way that they will receive him, right? Ask that God would bring someone into their life that can speak to them or change their heart, soften their heart, all of that. Good to pray for But to promise someone that it's going to happen or to, to anchor your soul in that specific fact it's dangerous. We all have to make our own choice. You can only be responsible for your own choice. In fact, we're going to talk about Job here in a minute. And he was making sacrifices for his family, for his kids specifically. And it didn't cover them, didn't protect them. They had to make their own choice. That's just an example. Uh, Another one would be if we had, if Aaron and I, when he was going through kidney failure, he was on track to die. I mean, his body was dying. If we had had our eyes only on physical, supernatural healing, and believe me, we saw enough of it. We see people healed around these altars all the time. It's hard not to be like, God, why not me? Right? Healing everybody. Why not me? Why am I not? If we had had our eyes only on physical, supernatural healing, We would have missed all the things God had for us in walking through that season. In fact, that was something specific God said to us. You're going to walk through this. But there were Christians who came to us repeatedly and said, don't go to the doctor. Stop going to the doctor. They're lying to you. Don't go through with that transplant. Thinking that they're standing on the promises of God, but the promise is healing. It doesn't say how it's going to happen. To say that God only heals in a supernatural way is a short-sighted, narrow-minded maybe. God is so big. He did so much more through our lives than just physical healing. We would have missed out on a lot of other changes and blessings and experiences that that whole thing brought us. God knew what he was doing is what I'm trying to say. He knew what he was doing. We often want to rush the process, like skip to the end, instead of just trusting God. We, we had, in that season, we had to develop this even if he doesn't faith that I talk about a lot, right? Even if he doesn't heal Aaron, we're still going to trust him. Even if he doesn't bring my family to know Jesus, I'm still going to trust him. Even if he doesn't, whatever, fill in the blank. Even if he doesn't do what I'm praying for him to do, I'm still going to trust you, God. That's faith. Not faith in a specific outcome. Just faith that God knows what he's doing. Yes, approach the throne room of grace and ask. The Bible says, boldly approach the throne room of grace and ask. Get your eyes on to the provider. Just maybe not so narrow-mindedly, right? It's like we sometimes get this shield stuck in a certain position. We're holding it like over our shins, or like we get it stuck all over our like we're we're holding it somewhere weird over our body, and then the rest of us is exposed. When the shield of faith is supposed to move, you can move it <laughs> to the place that you need it to cover most, right? <clears throat> we get our our selves stuck in a silly position, and we're not willing to see that God might have a bigger picture in mind. Faith isn't meant to be applied so specifically. It's meant to be applied to whatever situation you're going through at the time. 
But God may have a much bigger blessing in mind for you than you do. In fact, he, he is so much bigger. The Bible says, it's, uh, what's, how's the verse go? Um, abundantly more than you can ask for or imagine. That's what he has in mind. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts so much higher than our thoughts. He can imagine better for you than you can. He wants better for you than the small thing that you're thinking he can bless you with. And faith is meant to move to whatever situation. It is meant to be in a person, in a relationship, not in a thing, not in an object, not in an idea, a person, Jesus. God provides health, but we don't put our faith in health. We put our faith in God. Does that make sense? God provides wealth. We don't put our faith in wealth. But in God, he provides deliverance. We don't put our faith in deliverance, but in God, he provides protection. I could go on. We, we get stuck only seeing him as a provider for one thing. And he can be so much more than that. And this is so important because of this next verse, which is where we're focusing today. Verse 16. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. To stop the fiery arrows of the devil. I can only hold my shield this far away from me, right? This is what I got. Those arrows get pretty darn close. Yeah? Faith doesn't stop them from being fired at you. Faith just stops the arrows from killing you. Okay? We're, we're still looking at, at Roman armor here for the metaphor. This looks more like a English soldier maybe but we're we're looking at we have to look at remember we have to paul was writing this in a roman prison he was looking at roman armor so to fully understand his metaphor we sort of have to picture roman armor as he saw it the shield so i read was wrapped in leather and dipped in water actually it wasn't quite maybe it was metal underneath i don't know but it was wrapped in leather dipped in water. So when the flaming arrows came, they would be extinguished. They got pretty close, right? Faith doesn't stop them from shooting the arrows. Faith stops what's shot at you from killing you. So many of us mature Christians, we think, you know, surely I should be immune from this stuff by now, right? Like, like why is the devil still firing arrows at me? I have served God all my life. I've done this, this, and this. God, I, I deserve protection. from. I deserve the, the easy street by now, right? Surely I do. Why isn't God protecting me from these things? I've even been tempted to think that way in a lot of situations, even lately. Like, God has to sort of sit me down and remind me sometimes, you actually have all the tools that you need to protect yourself. And I want to sit in the corner and cry like, God, help pout a little bit God why why do you let these things come why do I have to put on the armor every gosh darn day right why why is it hard I thought things were supposed to be where do we get this idea in the Bible that things are supposed to be easy when our example marched himself to a cross What's easy about that? That's who we're supposed to be like. And yet I have this idea in my head. I get this laziness maybe about me that, that 
I shouldn't have to pick up my shield every day, right? It's heavy. This one isn't, but you know what I mean. It's plastic. It's heavy. I imagine they're heavy over time. God says, you have all the tools you need. Get up. Dust yourself off. Wipe your little tears. Put on your big girl pants. Come on. Right? You have all the tools you need to protect yourself. Hold up your shield and stop being lazy. God has given you all the tools that you need to protect yourself. He's given you the shield of faith. It doesn't always stop the arrows from coming because we live in a fallen world right now. The Bible describes it as the time of evil. Just is. Right? It's not always going to be, but for right now, Satan is loosed. That's where we're living. So he can shoot his darts, but it doesn't mean they will land. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper, right? So today I want to talk a little bit about what do those darts look like? What do you mean he shoots fiery darts, right? How do I protect myself specifically against those darts? And and to see how he usually does it, we're going to look back and see how he actually did it in the Bible. In fact, we see two very clear types of attacks in the word from Satan himself. Obviously, there's a whole lot more attacks from lots of other instances like this coming from the enemy. But these four in particular, it's extremely clear who the attacks are coming from in these passages. They're sort of unique throughout the word. So number one, we've already talked about this one a few times throughout the series, but Eve, right? Genesis 3, in the beginning, Eve experienced an attack from Satan himself. Obviously, lots of other instances of this, but this one is so clear. So clearly a mental attack, even though he was sort of physically there, right? It's a mental attack. Satan was just questioning God's word. He was lightly lying. I mean, he peppers some lies in there, but he speaks a lot of truth too. Sowing seeds of doubt, right? And we see her fail this test, obviously. Uh, We see the curse of what happens next. But it's an important one to study because we do this too. We fail attacks sometimes, right? We give in to the fear and and the doubt that the enemy creates, and it, it creates this curse in our lives that we become more and more subject to. Under Jesus, We're free from the curse. But again, when we step out from under his protection, remember the umbrella from a couple weeks ago, we can step out from that when we're not using our shield of faith and holding it up, we're open and vulnerable to these attacks. Shield is also something you got to hold up. You can hold it down here, but what good is it? Right? Faith must be applied. Eve didn't use hers. She let doubt win. So she's sort of on the what not to do list here. Don't drop your shield when a little doubt comes along, right? I actually think this is what most of us do. We don't have our whole armor on. We're not basing our beliefs in truth. We're not standing under the umbrella of Jesus's righteousness and walking in peace. So why would this, why should we expect this to cover us from multiple areas of attack? This, I mean, this is tiny, I don't know how big they actually were. This doesn't cover my whole body, right? I don't think any shield would. We need the other pieces of the armor as well. The first, some of us, the first whisper of questioning God, and we're suddenly like, oh, yeah, that sounds right. 
right? Our faith is so easily just dropped. Faith must be held up. It does you no good when you set it down. Right? Here's my definition of faith. And, and honestly, there's so much in the Bible about faith. One of the, the common questions I get from new believers is, what actually is faith? Like, I don't, can't quite wrap my head around it. Is it belief? Is it what I'm doing? I know faith without works is dead. What, how, do I, how do I figure this out? My biblical, I think, definition of faith is belief that results in action. Belief, something you believe in so much that it causes action. Does that make sense? The Bible has so much to say about faith at, at our women's Bible study, Bold and Brave, this week. Uh, we talked about it for an hour and a half, all the verses, and we went through Hebrews 11 with the heroes of faith, and we didn't even finish. It was an hour and a half long, and we didn't finish. So the Bible has so much to say. I actually have all of those notes listed, linked in the sermon notes if you'd like to see them. Um, and I would encourage you study them this week. Go through and figure out what is faith and how did all of these Bible heroes apply it? What did it look like for them? Uh, but without faith, again, look at the definition, a belief that causes action. Without that, you're not going to do what the Bible actually says to do, right? You're not actually going to do it. If you don't have faith. Without faith, you're not going to be obedient to God. Without faith, you're unprotected. That's why it's impossible to please God without it. Just action isn't enough. you got to believe as well. Going through the motions isn't what God is looking for. It's your heart, ultimately. But we see your heart by your actions, Right? Action without belief isn't enough. Belief without action isn't enough. It must be both. That's faith. Eve didn't have it. I think she was only obeying so far because that's all she knew. She didn't have it. She wasn't applying this, okay? Second example in the word is Job. Job is one of my favorite Bible heroes to preach. It is a long book tough to get through. They use all the words in the language they speak, in the Hebrew language, I guess. They, so, they throw so many words at the problem. It is a long book. But in Job 1, we actually see Satan himself asking permission from God to attack Job physically. Right? Do you remember this story? Satan comes after the, the people in Job's life. He, he, and again, they were definitely open for attack, by the way. They weren't offering sacrifices for themselves. They weren't applying faith for themselves. Job was doing that. They were open for attack. So he comes after the people in Job's life, Job's kids, and he kills them, all of them. And they were spoiled rotten brats, essentially. Not, they were partying and not submitting themselves to God. They're totally uncovered by the grace of God. But yeah, save, save. Satan and Job, I think. Was. <laughs> Satan kills all of Job's kids and the servants. He goes after Job's possessions as well, takes all the livestock and the land. And then finally, he comes after Job's health. It is a very physical attack. Job is now covered, boils, head to toe. It's awful. And in all this, though, Job keeps his faith up. Yes, he's under attack. 
He doesn't have all the tools that we have today. We have the the New Testament, right? The, The Holy Spirit wasn't given to just anyone yet, but he didn't lose faith. Even after being encouraged to do so by his wife and his friends, bad counsel can often lead to doubting God, right? He's left still standing. Even though he did question God, he asked God to explain all of this to help him figure it out, but he's still standing. He's still alive. He didn't curse God and die like his wife told him to do. He didn't give up and ultimately submitted to God's rebuke of his attitude. (laughs) God sort of sat him down and said, who are you to question me, bro? Uh, Even under the most severe attack the Bible ever did see, he is withstanding. And God rewarded him for it in the end. Job submitted himself to the Lord fully and completely, humbled himself. He also forgave his friends in the end. We don't often include this. I was reminded this week as I read the very last chapter of Job. God didn't bless Job back double everything until after he forgave his friends. They had to come and bring a sacrifice, and Job was the one that had to receive it. He had to forgive them. (laughs) Forgiveness is such a powerful spiritual warfare tool. When we hold on to things, when we choose to remain bitter about things that Jesus has forgiven and covered under his grace, who are we to say? Right? Forgiveness is given, not earned. Trust is earned. Forgiveness is given. It was a gift to you from Jesus. Right? None of us deserve it. I don't deserve Jesus' forgiveness, but he gave it. Who am I to hold it out? on other people. You see Job's faith here because he forgave in the end. I don't know if you've, you've heard Greg Waldy's story. He's usually sitting right down here. He, uh, when he, we've done a video with him, it's on our YouTube and our website and stuff if you, if you want to go see it. But Greg includes forgiveness as a huge part of his healing. And he was riddled with bone cancer. Bad. He had weeks to live, and it's been years now. (laughs) Years, and he still sits in the front row and worships his heart out almost every Sunday. Yeah, God is good. But he claims forgiveness in his healing story. He said, God led me through a process of submission and forgiving things that had happened in my past was a huge part of it. And I'm not saying Greg's cancer was caused by unforgiveness. Please hear that right? I can't know that for sure, but I am saying that forgiveness was a huge part of his healing. It is spiritual warfare to let go. Let God deal with it and just let go. So as we go through, this is only number two example, but we're going to sort of collect these pieces that show our faith, okay? These, these powerful spiritual warfare tools. Forgiveness is one of them. Humility is another one Job displayed. Oh, the whole time his friends were questioning God. He said, I, I know God is good. This is basically the whole argument between him and his friends. He said, I know God is good, and I know I, I wasn't the unrighteous one. I have been submitted to God. I, but both things can't be true, can they? Then why else would I be experiencing all of this bad stuff the whole time he held on to it? But I know God is good. It's not bad to question God. I mean, God did sit him down, 
rebuked him a bit, right? But he blessed him again in the end because that humility he showed of finally saying, God, I should never have spoken. I'm going to shut up now, essentially. Job says at the end, I know that you are God and you are good, and I had no right to question that which I did nothing to deserve. You taking that which I had nothing to deserve. So humility in the end is another huge spiritual warfare tool. Pride hides things. Do you know the Bible actually says that? Pride hides things from you. God hides things from the proud. You can't see clearly when you're hanging on to pride. Drop it. Acknowledge who God is. Put him back in his right place in your life and watch the freedom come. It'll be amazing. Okay, number three. Jesus. Probably Oh, definitely the best example of faith absolutely on planet earth. But this specific example in Matthew 4, when Satan comes after him and his tempting, do you remember the story? I'm going to read a little bit of it, but it's another mental attack. We can learn so much from the spiritual attack from Satan himself. I mean, throughout this passage, Satan offers him food. He offers him power. He offers him an opportunity to prove himself. Which, to me, is was, I would think that would be the toughest temptation of them all. Who doesn't want to prove yourself to the devil a little bit? Right? Is that just me? I want to show him. Come at me, bro. Just a little. Right? I want to prove myself to him. I can't imagine Jesus, the Son of God, not wanting to just squash him a little bit. Humble him a little bit. But Jesus doesn't. He... he uses faith to ward him off, in fact. Matthew 4.10 is finally where he gets rid of him. He says, get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. He doesn't make a big display of power. Right? He doesn't beat him up like I would want to do. He says, get out of here. I'm going to follow the scriptures. The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Satan used scripture here to tempt Jesus. This is that manifestation thing I see so much lately, both in Christian circles and secular circles. Like we want to be able to just call things into existence to tell the universe what we want and watch it respond. I've even seen how-to videos online lately with these mantras, like these sentences. The, The video I saw lately was literally telling people to say one single sentence three times before you go to bed every night and watch the universe give you what you want. You can attract things to yourself. Uh, You understand there is power in our words. There is a little truth there. The Bible tells us there is power in our words, but here's the twist. When you're calling on the universe, you're not calling on God. (laughs) God wants to be your provider. He is the provider. But when you call on the universe, that's not him. You're, you're asking Satan, essentially. And calling on Satan to bring you what you want, remember, he may at first. He may give you hints at it. He's good at deception, right? But ultimately, you're opening up your mind to torment and bondage, and he will use whatever foothold you give him to Steal from you, kill you, and steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants. There may be some power there, but it will come 
with bondage. Does that make sense? Listen to what, just hear me out, right? Listen to what Satan says here in Matthew 4, and you can tell me if I'm off. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem. We're going back a little in the story. The highest point in the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, and he uses scripture, Satan knows scripture well, better than you do. He will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Doesn't that sound a lot like you can do whatever you want? The universe will protect you. You're, you're the son of God, surely, taunting him a little bit, right? Jump off and order those angels. If you are, Jesus. Jesus, however, knows the scriptures too. The whole scripture, right? He's not just taking a piece of this out of context and saying, I can do whatever I want with it. I can use the word selfishly for my own, to prove myself, I guess. Jesus responds, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. He knew very well what the scriptures said, but he also knew that Satan was twisting it. Satan is the best, by the way, at taking a verse out of context, plucks it right out of context and claims it. And he teaches you how to do that too, right? Call things into existence. Use words to manipulate and control. And then he's very good at convincing you to claim, you know, any promise in the Bible given to any person. Use it in whatever way you so desire. And then when it doesn't work, he's good at coming back and saying, what the heck, God, right? Like nudging you a little bit. Uh, don't you want to question God now? Well, he would do that for them and not for you. And we're the ones who took it out of context. Right, we get very close to mantras and incantations sometimes. Yes, even witchcraft as believers. It's easy to do with scripture. Satan did it here. Well, surely, just jump off. God will put the angels, will call the angels into existence and they'll protect you. Jesus knew better. Jesus prayed for what he wanted to. Let me be clear. We, we see him in the end in the garden, right? Right before he's arrested, he says, Father, let this cup be taken from me. He prays for what he wants, but ultimately, your will be done. Ultimately, I want what you want, not me. Now, God wants to give us good things, but we must also make sure that we're being obedient in our asking. Jesus preempted temptation, by the way, with a fast. If you study this passage a little bit more in depth, he's, he's towards the end of a 40-day fast out in the wilderness, right? He gets baptized. Holy Spirit is anointing him, and he goes straight to the wilderness and does a 40-day fast by himself where he's tempted by Satan himself. Do you think it's a coincidence that Satan came to him when he was at his weakest, alone, unprotected in the desert, hungry. <laughs> 40 days and 40 nights of fasting will make you hungry, okay? It will make you weak. Jesus knew what it would take. He knew how to ward off temptation, knowing the word, standing on truth. He had his righteousness on. He had his shoes of peace, right? He used his shield of faith in God, not in himself here, and, and he handled it like a darn champ. Get out of here, Satan can't use the word for your own selfish desires. 
right? Scripture memory and knowing the word are the pieces that we're taking out of this, the, the powerful spiritual warfare tools he used here. I know scripture memory sounds like, like a children's ministry thing, but knowing the word, the Bible says hide it deep in your heart, right? You need it to fend off attacks, especially ones that sound very religious like Satan used here. Fasting is also one of the most underrated spiritual warfare tools that exists. Every time I bring it up, people are like, eh, I'll just, I'll fast social media. No. <laughs> I mean, yes, sure, you can learn things from that. It's probably helpful and good, whatever. But food, there's nothing like a fast from food. <laughs> there just isn't. I mean, there's lots of versions of it. I also have a, a Fasting for Beginners article linked in the sermon notes. If you're interested in learning about this, you don't want to just jump into like a seven-day, 14-day fast, cold turkey. Okay, learn how to do it well. But it is so, so good. The, the revelations that you get from fasting. I mean, there is a reason that Jesus put it at the very beginning of his ministry. He didn't launch himself into his three years of ministry before doing this fast. It was important. Jesus was a master at all the spiritual disciplines, of course. But he used fasting here. He knew the word intimately. And he was humble. He called on God's words to rebuke Satan. Didn't even use his own. And you can see his faith here because of his use of the word, his fasting, his humility, and his obedience. Number four, the last example we're going to go over today. Peter. This one is unique because it's in, we find it in Luke 22. Jesus predicts that Peter will go through an attack or that he maybe already is. And listen to what he says in verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. Listen to what Jesus pleads in prayer for, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Leave that verse up on the screen as I'm talking about this, because you can see here, this is another mental attack from Satan himself, right? It would seem that Satan asked God again, like just like with Job, he went to God, and he asked him to mess with Peter. Right? Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. He has asked to test your loyalty. He, he's asked to, to tempt Peter to deny Jesus when Peter needed him most, because that's exactly what happened, right? Peter denied Jesus three times when Jesus was on that cross. And Jesus needed him, his disciples most. That's when Satan came for Peter. He tempted him. Peter failed. But notice, Jesus here doesn't pray that it won't happen. Do you see what he prayed specifically? <laughs> he didn't say, God, protect Peter. Let, let Satan not come after him. <laughs> Put angels of protection around him. I think we pray a lot for protection from these things. That's not what Jesus actually did here. He prayed that his faith would not fail when it does happen. Right? He knew Peter would do what he did. And so he says, when you have repented, not if it happens and if, if you need to repent, when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. 
So Jesus didn't see his denial as a complete failure. We often think of these crises of faith that we have as just such a failure. How could I not believe? We look back on them like, I can't believe I ever thought that. I can't believe I did that. I'm such an idiot, right? Jesus didn't, I don't think he saw it that way. He saw his repentance as the victory. Turning away and never coming back would have been the failure. That's not how Jesus saw it. So I'm tempted to say we have, of these four examples, we have two victories and two failures. Seeing Peter's test as a failure. But in reality, Jesus didn't see that it that way. He didn't see Peter as a failure. Meaning, repentance is another one of the, the powerful spiritual warfare tools we're adding to the list here. Repentance. Turning away from those doubts, those fears, those actions that pull you away from God and putting your focus back on him. Satan may launch his arrows and appear to win for a while, but don't hang your head in shame and despair. Hold it high and come back to him because repentance is the victory, right? It is the victory. God gave us this tool. By the way, prayer here is another spiritual warfare tool, but it wasn't Peter's prayer. It's Jesus's, right? When we pray for each other, powerful things happen in the supernatural. Jesus prayed for Simon. I don't know if Simon left this particular conversation and went and prayed for himself or not. I I honestly don't think he did because the next thing out of his mouth was like, Jesus, I would never. I would follow you to death. He he was in total denial that it was going to happen. Jesus knew it would and prayed that his faith would not fail. When you have repented, turn to me again and strengthen your brother. So we see Peter's faith here by the fact that after he failed, he repented. Failure is not the end of faith. It's not something that should pull you away from Jesus, but rather make you run back to him. Because after his failure, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible is Jesus showed up on a beach to Peter cooked him breakfast, and called him back into ministry. Just because you put this shield down temporarily doesn't mean you can't pick it back up. Pick it back up. Repent. When you're under attack, there's got to be this little bit of righteous anger that boils up inside of you, right? That rises up within you. I call it a, a fire in my belly. That's what it feels like fire in my like we can't take attacks lying down don't think of yourself as a victim Paul didn't writing Ephesians 6 he he was literally in a prison and he didn't see himself as a victim he saw this as a spiritual thing going on not as a physical he saw himself as a soldier putting on his armor we got to suit up people I am so tired of seeing Christians, I mean, Bible-believing Jesus followers, act like victims all the time. You're not a victim. You're a warrior. You should be training all the time, ready for an attack, just looking for it, prepared for it, putting on your armor every single day just in case one comes. 
One comes because a tax may come, but you've been training, so you're ready. A tax may come, but you've been preparing for this a little bit with Jesus. You're prayed up, read up, filled up, and you show up. That's what warriors do. Victims, and by that, of course, I mean the perpetual victim mentality. The world is against me, pouting in the corner, right? Victims will hide in the corner and they will cry. I've heard from so many Christians during this series. And some of it's just ignorant. We don't know we should stand. We don't know this stuff, right? Not yet. But some of us, we just hide in the corner or literally under our blankets at night when something's scary in our house. (laughs) Hide under our blankets and just pray, God, help me. I don't know what to do here. Uh, and I've even done it. The story I told about something being in my house, and I was I dismissed it. It's not that I wasn't standing up. I just didn't think to. <laughs> I was like, eh, I don't know. It's probably me. I'm just sensing something. It was Aaron got up immediately, marched around the house, right, claiming protection in Jesus' name. That is not a victim mentality. I'm pretty sure Aaron's never had a victim mentality in his, one day in his entire life, but... <laughs> ping pong <laughs> we're not meant to hide under the covers my point <laughs> literally sometimes shaking and crying and maybe praying but listen God is trying to get you to see that he's given you the armor already suit up get up out of bed and, and square your shoulders and say, not today, Satan, okay? I'm, we're not doing this. I'm not accepting this unhealth in my family, this sickness going around, I'm not giving into it. I'm not accepting it. I'm casting it out in Jesus' name. We're going to have a house of health. Or I'm not accepting this, this spirit of division going on in my house and disunity. Everybody's fighting all the time. We're not doing it anymore. I'm casting it out. There will be unity in this house. This will be a house of hope and healing and peace in Jesus' name. Get a little angry. You are an overcoming child of God. I've been, this uh, Carmen song has been in my head all morning. Some of you did not grow up listening to Carmen all the 90s, and it shows. You need a little Carmen in your life. It's on my story. You should go and listen to this darn song. It says, the world may try and stop my mission, but I'll grow with opposition because I'm a Bible-toting, scripture-quoting, sin-defacing, devil-chasing, chorus-humming, guitar-strumming, gospel-preaching, soul-reaching, overcoming, child of God. It's a good song. We need a little bit of that in our lives. Stand up, suit up. Come on, right? We got to start to see ourselves as a child in his kingdom. Everyone is talking about the royals right now, right? The new princes and princesses and the titles and all of it. You should see yourself as a part of God's royal family, entitled to the privileges that comes with that. You should see yourself as somebody in his kingdom. There is power in that. Jesus handed you authority, in his name. Use it. Start to see yourself that way. Take up authority. Hold up that shield. My point here, by showing you these four stories from the word, is that attacks do happen, even to Jesus. (laughs) Satan will come after you. He wants you. He will stalk you sometimes. He's waiting for his opportunity. Yes, even to believers, and they come from everywhere, the attacks. 
And we can see the examples in the word. We can see their faith, or I guess lack thereof, by their actions or lack thereof. And we collected some of these faithful actions here. Let's just list them. Forgiveness, humility, knowing the word, knowing your Bible, fasting, repentance, prayer. This is just a few of them, of the ones that we can see from the actual direct attacks from Satan. This is why we must put on the full armor, because the shield of faith doesn't stop the attacks from coming. It just blocks them, stops them from killing you. In our reality, the attacks, they can look physical or mental. They can come in the form of illnesses, infections, diseases. They can come in the form of doubt, confusion, even religion. Can I just take a step? not biblical. They're anti-biblical. Dangerous. Years ago, I mean, when, like, when I first started preaching, I would mention Catholicism. I, I kept getting mean mail from, that's what I call mail that comes, <laughs> criticism. Mean mail from... Um, a particular person in the congregation that said, you always criticize Catholics in your sermons, but you don't realize you have a lot of ex-Catholics in the room. No, I did. <laughs> it's kind of why <laughs> kind of why I was coming after it. She was trying to get me to stop. I didn't, but I did clarify from then on, I'm not criticizing you if you were Catholic. It's just, it's toxic and addicting, that cycle of shame and guilt that is preached so often in those circles. Most of you were born into it. It wasn't even your decision. Uh, don't get me wrong. There are Jesus-loving Catholics. Absolutely. Um, good people who truly stand on the word. But there's still, there's still, there's a whole lot of non-scriptural beliefs. And it, it can be dangerous to your faith, actually. And, and, and we hold on to these even when we come into a Pentecostal church like this. There's still some <laughs> holdovers sometimes. Um, their teaching on salvation is wrong, for example, just wrong. They, they teach in it. There is no assurance of salvation. Wrong. Um, they teach a whole bunch of stuff about good works that is wrong. Baptism. <sighs> There's not one example of infant baptism in Scripture. Not one. There is dedication of infants in the Bible at the temple, but not baptism. Baptism was always done scripturally by those who believed an infant can't process belief yet in anything. They teach not only to pray to God, but to Mary and the saints, which scripture clearly teaches you to only pray to God. They teach there's a difference between priests and lay people. Again, New Testament clearly teaches the priesthood of all believers. They teach sacraments and there's grace when you receive. And it's nowhere in scripture. <laughs> I could go on. Good confession. Their beliefs in that twisted and manipulative most of the time. Mary is a whole subject all to herself. I mean, it's literal idolatry. <laughs> Rosaries, saint candles, religious incantations, it's alarmingly close to witchcraft. No mean mail later. <laughs> I can feel it coming. <laughs> But listen, I'm not just picking on the Catholics. We bring some of this stuff into our relationship with Christ, no matter what background we come from. A lot of it's religious. But we, when we put our faith in anything but Jesus, and even if it's Jesus adjacent, Jesus-ish, right? <laughs> if it's not just him, it can get off really quickly and dangerous to your faith. When I talk about the religious spirit, there, there are sometimes 
There is a religious spirit that comes along with these things. And it's sometimes just a human spirit, some things that we lean on and whatever. But it's also demonic. There are religious spirits. It's not just like an attitude. It can be actual religious spirits. They want to convince you of religion. They're good like Satan at claiming scripture. Badly, wrongly, right? Because then your eyes are off Jesus and they're on to something else. And the religious spirit can be so toxic to your soul, to the people around you, to a church that you're in. It's, it's self-righteous, it's manipulative, it's judgmental, and it will keep you in a cycle of shame and guilt and fear. When the Holy Spirit came to give power, love, and a sound mind. But I know people who, I believe, are caught up in an actual, with a religious spirit. They're totally controlled by it. Religious spirits love control. They want it, they crave it, they need it. That's the main indicator, although there are plenty. Um, like another one would be that they can't see grace in anything. There's no grace. They don't give themselves grace. They definitely don't give each other grace. All the laws and the extra laws that they make up themselves must be followed to the letter, and anyone who doesn't is vilified automatically. Right? So we tend to, they're dangerous because we tend to think these spirits are more faithful than us people. We tend to think the people. They're more faithful than us. They're so much more. They, they watch those beliefs carefully, but listen carefully to what their faith is in. Listen carefully to what comes out of their mouth when someone messes up. <laughs> when Peter messed up, Jesus didn't shun him. He went to him. Hey, he called him back. He served him. He made him breakfast on a beach and he called him back into ministry, not just into following him, but now into ministry. Almost like Peter's failure qualified him somehow. I think it, it humbled him a bit. <laughs> he called him back into ministry. That's my Jesus. I love him for that. That's who I've placed my faith in. So when I talk about faith, I do not mean faith in Christianity, faith in religion, faith in the church, faith even in church leaders necessarily. I'm talking about faith in Jesus and only Jesus. He is who he says he is. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. And that's the shield that you hold up. As you do, you begin to see your shield grow, by the way. Our shields might start out pretty small and dinky, like this one as new believers. We have one, but it's pitiful. <laughs> it feels big at that point. feels big to a new believer because we're not used to holding it up yet. But in reality, they're pretty small. It's our job over time to continue to build it, to hold it up, right? Applying what little faith you have and allowing God to grow it bigger. Let God be your protector. Since going through this series, you'll notice people now putting their faith in other things. Holding up a shield, but just in a certain place and exposing themselves in another. And maybe you'll notice it in yourself, too. Put your faith in Jesus. He's the only one that wants to see you free. So how do we apply this, right? Faith is this, this concept that feels very big, 
how do I actually apply this in my daily life? I think we take that list. We learn from the heroes of the Bible. The one against Satan himself. What did their faith look like? The actions that came from their belief. What, what did that look like? We take this list and we ask God to convict us of any areas where we're not showing faithfulness in that area. So, are you harboring unforgiveness somewhere? There's a holdout in your life, but you know, you don't know what you don't know what they did, Candace. Like, I can't, I can't, can't bring myself. Remind yourself, build your faith, right? Remind yourself that Jesus forgave you. You didn't deserve it either. Forgiveness can never be earned. They will never earn your forgiveness because forgiveness can't be earned. It is only given. It was a gift from God to you. Give it. Let go of it. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die, right? That's the quote. It's true. You are, are bringing bondage on yourself by not Forgiving. So ask God, is there an area of my life from harboring unforgiveness? Or, or is it pride? Is pride holding me back, holding me down, keeping me, is keeping things hidden from me? God, show me where I'm being proud. Let me humble myself, fix it, right? Knowing the word. I think this is a big one for believers. Are you not in the word enough? All right. Are you learning more all the time? Are you digging into it, asking questions of it, really hiding it deep down in your soul? I'm not saying you have to memorize whole books of the Bible, but understand it enough to tell someone else. And when you have questions or doubts about it, follow those through. Don't let them stay questions. Follow them through. Ask somebody, maybe, or ask the Holy Spirit for discernment or look up some stuff about it. The Bible app is so good, by the way. So many plans, so many videos. There's never been more resources to help you figure the Bible out. I'd be happy to teach you how. BibleGateway.com is a great one. It's all at your fingertips. Know the word. Satan will come at you with it. You got to know it well enough to defend yourself, to keep up that shield of faith. Have you been fasting? Have you ever fasted? A lot of Christians I know have never fasted. Believe me, I know it sucks, okay? I never want to do one either. Like, it's not something I jump for joy, get, can't wait to get out of the bed and in the morning and do a fast, right? But they are so beneficial to yourself. I can't even, you, you will not be able to quantify how it helps you. But the biggest thing it's always helped me with is it separates my body and what it wants and needs and desires from my spiritual self. I am in charge. Me, Candace, the spiritual me, am in charge of my body. It doesn't tell me what to do. I tell it. I make it come under obedience with the word. My body tells me I want all kinds of things I shouldn't have, right? I'm not just talking about that extra cookie it wants a lot, right? 
but uh, sexual things. It, it craves things. It, it wants so many things it shouldn't have. It, it wants to look good and people to, to be proud of it. And there's all kinds of things your body wants and craves. This flesh wants and craves that it shouldn't have. You get to tell it what to do. It's not in charge. You are. That is what fasting shows me almost every time in a deeper way, a new way. God also brings about other amazing revelations through fasting, things you never expected. You can almost not go into it asking for one thing, although I know people that do all the time and they get that one thing, but it's, it's so much more than that. Try it. Fasting for beginners. Look at the link in the sermon notes. Is there something you need to repent of? You've just been holding up. We've talked so much about repentance in this series. I would find it hard to believe you haven't yet, but a lot of us, we hold out. Fifth week, talking about this, and we still, something going on, like, it comes up in your soul every time I say this, and I feel like I should repent, but I just don't know if I, I can't let go of it. God, how could you ask me to let go of it? I need it. God has better for you. We often... We hold on to this little nugget we think is so good. And God is like, I have so much more for you. If you can just let go of that little thing, I can give you so much more. Repentance is so powerful. The Bible says, turn from your wicked ways. Turn. Go the opposite direction. That's repentance. God wants to give you so much more if you can just bring yourself to that place. Or finally, have you not been taking your needs to God in prayer? Have you not been praying for others? Is prayer the, the last go-to, not the first? I, I have to admit I'm guilty of this sometimes. I'll have something wrong with me or something going on in my life, and I'm like days in, and I'm like, I, I don't think I've even prayed about this yet. Everyone else in my life knows about it, but I haven't taken my needs to God. I just forgot. I don't know. Make prayer a discipline in your life. Write things down. I love looking back at old prayer journals and seeing all the things that I didn't even notice, but God answered. Amazing. It's a faith builder. Keep track of your prayers. Watch God move. All of these things. It's how we, it's an indicator of what's going on in our soul. Forgiveness, humility, knowing the word, fasting, repentance, prayer. It shows you that you have faith, a belief so deep it causes action. Hold up your shield of faith and just trust him. Trust him enough to change your behavior. That's the shield of faith. Father, we ask today that you would just pour faith into this body like never before wash over us with a new revelation, a new level of faith in our lives, that we would be able to trust you with more and more and more pieces, with, with all of ourselves, not just here or there, not just tithing, but not my relationship life, or not just forgiving, but also humbling myself. God, let us trust you with all of it submit ourselves fully to you so that we can go out suited up, ready for the attacks that come. 
with heads bowed and eyes still closed. I'll give everybody just some space to respond to this today. And maybe you would say, I've never given my life to Jesus ever. I've never let him come in and take over. I've never had that moment where it's like, I got saved. I gave my life to him. Or maybe you have, but it's been a long time. That's you today. And you're saying, I want to change. I want to grow. I want something new. I can't do this by myself anymore. Jesus wants to walk with you through life. He's not an angry God in the sky wagging his finger at you, telling you all the things you've done wrong. He came to bring hope, freedom, peace, healing, love. He wants to wash over you with those things. And yes, along the way, he'll say, okay, let's clean this up, right? Let's get this obedient to God. It's hope. And it is such a joy. It is hard, yes, but it is a joy walking with Jesus. He wants so much for you. If you can just trust him enough today to say, I'm giving my life to him, I'm in. I'm in to following him. I'm in for all of it. If that's you and you'd say, I'm in to following Jesus today and you're in the room, would you just raise your hand right where you are? I want to follow Jesus. Maybe for the first time, for the first time in a long time, hold your hand up high. And Usher will just give you a slip of small card into your hand to help you with that decision. If you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen. You can type I'm in in the comments. We'd love to help you with that decision as well. Anybody here like that today? Okay. Maybe for you, it's one of the things on the screen, and I'm not going to go through each of them, but you're saying uh, one of those jumped out to me. I know I need to make some decisions. I need to make some changes. I need to deepen my faith in this area and trust God. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you and I praise you for every single hand raised today. Thank you for the, the moves that we make towards you. God, I pray that you would just meet us there with whatever faith we have, whatever size shield we have at this moment, that you would just meet us there. Help us suit up, put on the full armor of God so that we are ready when the attacks come and we can fully trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Candace. How many are enjoying this series? Suit up. Good, good stuff. Amen. All right, real quick, a few announcements. Uh, remember candy. If you can please help us with candy, that'd be great. Chili Cook-Off, coming up in a few weeks. Sign up. I think you can sign up on the app. 20-second um, takeaway. They're ready for you. What is it that God spoke to you that you can share 20 seconds, just a real point. Will you stand with me? We're going to do a little exercise. I'm going to have uh, Dion bring the first one up, please. Now, Candace has a little sword or shield here, but I'm going to use my arm, and I'd like you to do the same. So, when the enemy shoots arrows at you, what did Jesus use as a shield? 
The Word of God? Scripture. So the first one, there is so much. This is just three. There's so many, so this is not exhaustive. This is not just the ones you use. So many, but when you know the Word, when the enemy shoots an arrow of fear, what can you say? Say it with me. For God has not given us a spirit of fear or of timidity, but of power, love, and a self-discipline or sound mind. All right, next one, please, Dion. If anxiety is overtaking you, shields up. <laughs> there you go. Shields up, what do you say? Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Personalize it. He cares about me. You're worried about money, something about tightening the finances. What do you say? Shields up. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of my needs according to His riches, His glorious riches, which have given, been given to us in Christ Jesus. Sorry, I'm chopping that up. <laughs> but that's the scripture. That's what you use, the shield up. And in a few weeks will be the sword, and it's also swinging your sword. So they're sort of similar. Amen. That is what God wants us to do. Those scriptures enable you to quench the fiery darts. Amen. Father God, we just thank you for your goodness. Let us go this week in the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit with the word of God hidden in our heart. For the time to dig the well is not when it's dry and we're thirsty, but to prepare beforehand same way that we have the shield of faith all ready, all set before the battle and the arrows come. Give us this day, Lord, your grace, your anointing, your power in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. Have a great week. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.